a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning and welcome to the KSL Greenhouse. Uh, Eric's decided that we need to really boost up our energy this morning. Thank you, Eric, who is our technical producer this morning. It's Ton. It's your fault, Ton. He says it's your fault. This is my fault. I asked Eric if he needed me because I thought he chimed in on the mic and I missed Uh it. uh And he says, do you need me to need you? (laughs) So we're playing cheap trick. All right. Maria Shaleos, Ton Bettis with you this morning. And also in studio with us this morning is Lyndon. I want to say your name wrong every time. I have to really look at the pronunciation. Greenhalch. Uh, we've been talking about grasshoppers this morning. Uh, so thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, you can give us a call, 801-575-8255 with your text with your questions, or you can text us at 57500. I'm just not used to starting the show with Cheap Trick. I'm sorry, that really threw me off. Let's go back to our phone lines. And Danny's on the line in Harriman. Good morning, Danny. What was your question? Yes, I've got um, some maple trees. So I got four of them, and it's kind of like Sesame Street. One of these kids is doing his own thing because uh, one of them is not doing so well. I mean, it's fine, but the other three are, are flourishing and and one just kind of, you look at it and you're like, okay, something's wrong with it. And mm. I just wanted to know what I could do. So describe what's going on with them. I mean, one's not conforming to the shape or what are you wanting to do with it? Well, just, uh, so the three, so they're, I mean, I've, I've lived in the house now eight years and they've kind of basically stayed the same size. They're not even really growing. But the, the leaves on the other three are just, you know, big, vibrant and in and, and, full and the one is just kind of the leaves seem less um my it's less full it's just kind of like you it, it just looks like it's sort of struggling I and mean, it's not dying or anything but the leaves just kind of look wimpy or you know less than the other three so on the one that is struggling have you tried fertilizing it in the past i have not i've i haven't i've had yeah, I just thought of it. I was listening to you guys this morning. I'm like, oh, yeah, Saturday morning I'm listening. Finally, I can call in. So, Well, it, it's a little late in the season. If you wanted to leave it in for one more year, year, sometime in March or early April, I would put maybe a quarter of a cup of lawn fertilizer around under the canopy, maybe a third of a cup. And what you would do is just watch the new growth. And if the new growth comes out really healthy – then for some reason it has a nutrient deficiency. But if the fertilizer doesn't have an impact, the tree probably has a vascular wilt disease or the roots are girdling the trunk or it's been planted too deeply. But there's something going on that fertilizer isn't going to help. And it's 
you can excavate around the trunk a little bit to see if you know you find a problem but there's a chance that there's a vascular wilt disease that you're not going to get out of the tree and you may need to remove it if it just isn't going to thrive okay is it something so i have grass i mean i, I don't the grass like grows right to the i mean i don't have a circle around it with dirt is that something I should maybe do, or is it? Does it matter that the grass, you know, just grows well, right to the root or right to the base? Maybe won't necessarily kill the tree, but you know, I know that, like in fruit trees, when fruit trees are grown in bare soil or soil just covered with mulch, as compared to those same trees grown in turf and treated equally, that the fruit trees in the bare soil will double the growth rate of the trees in turf because of the grass's ability to outcompete the tree for nutrients. Uh, okay. So or even a ring a foot or 18 inches wide, you know, are going out from the edge of the trunk, so a two or three foot wide circle around the tree can help. Okay. Fantastic. All right, well, is there anything you can do for morning glory? Blessed. <laughs> well, it depends on where it's at. And I've been in holding off. If it's in your grass... There is a spray made by a company called Image, and it's just called All-in-One Lawnweed Killer that is registered for okay. use. And it's not as affected by heat, but if it's still 95 or 100, I wouldn't wait for a day when we're a little cooler. But that one has a product called Quinclorac in it that does a pretty good job against bindweed. Okay, and it's called Image? Image All-in-One Lawnweed Killer. Okay, perfect. Thank you very much. I write down that name every week, hoping that I'll remember it. And every week I have to write it down again because I've forgotten. Uh, next listener does have a grasshopper question. They say, if they sprinkled seven dust on the ground between rows in their garden, would that deter the grasshoppers or just contaminate the food, London? I think it would deter them because if – and the grasshoppers have to get it on on themselves or ingest it and then it'll kill them. Yeah, so it'll work. Okay. What about directly on their flower pots? Oh, uh, they can put it on their on their flower pots. Yeah, it, it, the grasshopper just has to either ingest it or come in contact with it. That's a that's a contact killer. So on the seven, uh, one of the recommendations I read, and this was more yard and garden, was that if people wanted to avoid in, avoid insecticides, was something called diatomaceous earth, which is a powder, but microscopically it's really jagged. And if it gets into the joints of insects or if soft-bodied insects crawl across it, it can cause problems. But in your travels and research, have you seen diatomaceous earth to be effective? I, I've never used it. I, I'm usually dealing on a large scale where we're applying insecticide aerially with a helicopter or an airplane. So I, we're not using diatomaceous earth. No. And as soon as you, it's, it rains or it's irrigated, it's rendered... It just works its way into the soil. But I was just wondering if you'd see anything. Here's another one. Greenhouse show, are there any ideas for bait boxes for grasshoppers? No. <laughs> I don't I don't I don't know what you mean by a bait box, if you mean a bait box like a for, for mice or rodents, but I yeah, they I'm assuming some sort of protected box where they'd crawl in and eat like a seven bait 
and then crawl out and then later die. Yeah, I, just, I haven't seen anything. I don't know why they would crawl into something when they can – as long as there's green foliage, you know, succulent. Why would they crawl into a box and eat something in there? I just – I've never used anything like that. You could try it. But I think one of the take-homes from our conversations is that it's much easier to control grasshoppers when they're young. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so the diatomaceous earth spread in your garden, the seven bait or seven dust spread out in the garden, you're going to have a much better shot at killing the grasshoppers because they're far less mobile than when they're adults and can fly. Right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the the stuff that I'm familiar with, there's a chemical called dimelin, and it's a growth regulator. It needs to be applied before they reach maturity. And we used that, oh, back in 2009, we'd sprayed about, we treated about 2,000 acres in Tooele County, and, and the next year we didn't have any grasshoppers in, in that same country, that rangeland. We had some grasshoppers in irrigated ground the next year. It was just a small amount. We couldn't use dimelin. We used uh, malathion, and it knocked them dead. I went out there the day after the plane flew it on, and there was dead grasshoppers all over the place. But Hi. Yeah, one of our texters just tuning in, I'm mentioning what you mentioned at the top of the hour about all of the grasshoppers in Tooele and just the problem that you have seen. I'm wondering, though, um, federal, state government, are they doing anything spraying-wise to help with grasshoppers? So we have a kind of a three-tiered approach, uh, county, state, and federal. And I'm on the National Grasshopper Management Board, and I think I'm the only county agent, and and it's a western states uh, organization. And we meet once a year, and we we there we have a report from the previous year, what happened, and then we try to predict and identify areas where there might be problems in the coming season. So if the grasshoppers are on federal ground, like BLM ground or Forest Service ground, the APHIS takes care of that. USDA APHIS will, will work on treating that. If it's a private landowner issue, I'm usually working with the private landowner and getting them in touch with Utah Department of Ag and Food and to try and find a solution for that. What's the minimum acreage for somebody to qualify for that? Because, you know, if you have somebody with a 500-square-foot garden, I don't think UDAF's going to fool with it. Right. Yeah, you have to qualify as an agricultural producer. You have to be producing some kind of product and be a legitimate agricultural producer. So. They will uh, reimburse agricultural producers 100% for the chemical cost. Now, there's a there's an application cost if you hire somebody. So the chemical cost isn't the only cost, but they will reimburse agricultural producers for 100% of the chemical cost for the treatment. Um, they have to verify, or sometimes they'll have me verify, that you have enough grasshoppers and the, the economic Threshold number that we use is nine grasshoppers per square yard. I was out last week uh, looking around this new seeding that got destroyed, and there were 30 to 60 grasshoppers per square yard, depending on, you know, if the foliage was thicker, there were more grasshoppers there. If it was thinner, just mostly dirt, there were just maybe 30 per square yard. But that's a lot. That's a lot. nine, Nine is enough to do a lot of damage, so to make it worth your while to to spend the money to treat. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to take a break. Number to call with your questions. And Kathy, you will be up next. Number to call 801-575-8255. You can text us your questions at 575-00. 
Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Thank you for spending your Saturday morning with the KSL Greenhouse. Taking your calls, 801-575-8255, and you can text us at 57500. Next listener, Ton, says, two weeks ago, and I feel so sorry for this person. I've done this. I accidentally sprayed parts of my lawn with Roundup instead of the weed killer. What should I do to get those areas to come back? Actually, my husband did it, not me, but This (laughs) happens more frequently than you would think. It's happened at USU. I know Salt Lake City. pick up the wrong bottle, and they look the the same. So. All you can really do is wait two or th- probably three weeks, maybe even four, to see what's actually dead. Because some of it may recover, but I, the only solution is to take it out, work the soil, and get it ready for new grass. And Reseed. Reseed. Yeah. Right. I, we, Usually you just yeah. spot, like, tried to kill bindweed somewhere or something. Yeah, it's just one of those things. I it happens to everyone. I know several years ago, um, I know a person that tried to determine what spray he was using by the smell. Oh no! And put Roundup all over his fruit oh, trees. No. Oh no! Figured it out and tried to wash most of it off. But let's the wife got the year off from canning. So I mean, this happens quite frequently, and smell is not a good indicator of what you're using. Right, that's so. the problem with putting it in separate bottles. Yeah. All right, Kathy's on the line in Leighton. Good morning, Kathy. What was your question? Hi, thank you. Um, in May, we bought nine new rose bushes and planted them, and they are not doing well. There's not one bud hasn't been for since the first two weeks. They're kind of yellow in the middle on one section of them, and the other one has dry leaves. And I talked to the nursery where I bought them, and they said, the yellow sounds like we're overwatering them, but we're in an HOA and have little control over how they're watered. So um, there's a second section of new rose bushes that um, look green and wonderful, and they're not blooming, not one bud. So uh, is the second section of roses brand new also? Yeah. Uh-huh. Planted at the same time. Okay. And the lack of blossoms the first year especially, I'm not as concerned about if the plants look healthy. And, okay. I mean, as far as irrigation, where you have them, the, the HOA controls the sprinklers, and it's the sprinklers are in multiple areas and not just your yard? Yeah. Okay. But they, but they say if they turn that off, then the grass will die up, especially now with the heat of the year coming. Well, with the heat coming, it may be that they, the excess of water is less of a concern because it evaporates more quickly. You know, I would prefer to see them just water correctly, but you know, these HOAs are kind of between a rock and a hard place because Mm -hmm. when the development was built, the contractors do a sprinkling system that will meet the minimum standard so they can get out of there without 
having conflict with the architect. And so the mm-hmm. HOA is left sometimes with a subpar sprinkling system. And in a lot of situations, they overwater to make up for gaps where the sprinklers should be hitting more efficiently. And so it looks like you've run into something like that. And so short of the HOA reworking the sprinklers in that area, you may need to dig those roses up and try moving them. Because if they were just planted this spring, they haven't rooted out enough to really send roots into the soil and maybe put them in a new home where you can control the watering more carefully. So does that yellow leaves in the middle kind of sound like too much water? It can. I dug down to see if the soil was really wet, and it didn't seem too wet. Um, well, did you dig down to the bottom of the root ball? No. no. Just you need to go the, the eight or nine inches whatever depth the root ball was and do the entire profile. And if it doesn't seem overly wet, then you might be able to leave them. But yellowing leaves, that's usually overwatering is the first thing you look at, but it can be caused by other things too. Okay. So, um, you're, you're not worried about the no buds then? Not if the foliage is totally healthy. I'm just not worried about it this year. Okay, I bought some rose and bloom fertilizer, continuous release plant food. I put that on a couple of weeks after we planted them. And that's kind of when it, they started to look bad. And I thought, well, I'm not going to do that again. Did you follow the instructions something. on the application? <laughs> yes, I did. Okay. And for some reason, and I don't know, let's say the lawn got fertilized and it drifted into your rose bed and then you refertilized, too much fertilizer can cause yellowing leaves sometimes. Okay. So um, I haven't done that now for about six, eight weeks. Should I do it again or just leave it uh, I would just leave it be. Maybe give it another couple of weeks. Look at the instructions on the can and see how often you're supposed to reapply. But you're probably okay for another couple of weeks. Okay. All right. All right, Kathy. Great. Thanks Thank for you. your call this morning. Next listener says, Tom, that their mom has some rose bushes that are too old to move, and they'd like to take some cuttings and propagate them in the new yard. How easy is it to do that? I know people do this. I've never done it. You can do it a few different ways. You would want to – there's several methods to do this, and I think jumping on YouTube and just searching rose propagation or rose, you know, starting roses in water. You know, my grandpa used to start roses in water where he would take a – a new shoot, and then he would clip it so that it was about six inches long, maybe just a bit shorter, and he would put it into a mason jar full of water so that the bottom, strip the leaves off the bottom half of the stem and just leave it in there. And over a period of five or six weeks, it would root out. You can root them into vermiculite. You can sometimes root them into potting soil by just getting a container, putting a a bag, like a clear bag over the top of the container with some holes poked in it to keep the humidity up. And you can sometimes root them like that. All right. We need to take a break for the top of the hour news. When we come back, the top of the hour feature is the top 10 turf problems in northern Utah. We hope you'll stay with us for that. Number to call with your questions, 801-575-8255. We have some people still waiting for us. And you can text us your questions at 57500. I'm Dave Cauley investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. 
In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.